that was a really good uh, introduction by Ron. I really appreciate that. I love the finished work. And he said he's going to be preaching about the cross, but now he talked about a tree today. So I don't know if he's deviating from his message or what. Don, Don's got to like follow that up and make, make sure that he's not deviating. But um, I'd just like to um, finish our three-part series. Actually, there's a fourth part, and uh, it was last Sunday night on virtuous thinking, and that's online if you'd like to listen to it. But just by way of review, and I'd like to maybe begin with prayer before we start. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this time to approach your word, open your Bible, to hear from you, because faith comes by hearing. And if we're not present to hear, then there's no faith that is being infused into our life. And so we want to make sure that the soil of our heart this morning is ready to receive, to put aside all distractions and all all thoughts about the week, to just uh, look to you and to hear from you. In Jesus' name, pray that the word would be have its effective work done in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just by way of review, four things. Uh, we've been talking about overcoming strongholds and how strongholds take place in our life to give the devil a, a fortress where he can call the shots. Now, you know, many fortresses were built and strongholds were built in the ancient days in strategic places so that traffic would be controlled that people would be controlled, and that there would be uh, really the, the application of the control of the dominating party. And in this case, it is the devil. And so there are four things that we mentioned by way of review. Number one, there are holes in your soul. Every one of us here have holes. These are holes that are deep, and they are seated very deeply inside of us. Every one of us here has holes. These holes are there for different reasons. We've been uh, we have holes because either we've been wounded or we have holes because they're just natural holes that God has allowed to be there because we're natural finite creatures that are dependent on God. Uh, these holes are holes that, are, that exist that the devil is targeting these holes. Whenever the devil attacks your life, he's, ta- he's not attacking your strengths necessarily. He's going after your needs. He's going after your deficits. These are, these are holes that are deficits in our lives. And these are deep-seated needs. Every hole that is not filled with God will be filled by nature. Remember we said last week that nature abhors the void? Well, that was, that was said, I believe, by Augustine or Plato. I don't remember who said that exactly, but... What that really means, I think, actually, I'm sorry, it's Aristotle that said that. Nature abhors the void. What that means is, we said last week, is if there's a hole uh, in the ground, when it rains, what's the first thing that fills? Nature will fill the hole. Because nature does not want holes. It wants everything to be even in harmony. In our weather patterns, if there is a low pressure, there is kind of a deficit. There's a hole there. And the high... uh, the um, high pressure in other parts and other regions of the land will rush to fill that low pressure. Um, so what we are looking at with holes is, is that nature will always fill the hole if it's not filled with something else. And what is the nature inside of us 
that will actually fill the hole. Our nature, our fallen nature, we are, we are creatures of by nature. And if we live without being renewed and quickened in our mind, which we're going to talk about in a minute, then our nature, our natural part of us will fill that hole with natural thinking, with, with something else that replaces God's word, with opinions, with other people's opinions, with the, with the uh, reflection from the, other, from the other pond, which is not the reflection from the word of God as we heard earlier. Nature will fill these holes. The second thing that we said was is that we fill these holes with what the world offers. And what is that? Idols. Somebody has the hole that they feel that they need to be recognized. So they will fill that with lots of things that will draw attention to them, whether negative or positive. A person feels lonely. There's a hole there. And so they will try to fill it with a stimulation, with relationship, with attainment, with achievements. Uh, they'll fill that with religious activity. Uh, this is called deficit motivation in psychology, or it's called a hole. And what we stuff the hole with, it becomes an idol. These idols, number three, will take control, bringing us into slavery. Idols are not something that we can play with and just put in the closet and then leave there, because they're gonna, they are going to take control. Uh, idols are always associated in the Bible with demons, demon activity. And so an idol can be something like the world's sense of entertainment. An idol could be the world's sense of fashion or a vocabulary or the world's sense of an idol that will try to fill people's voids will be a career or a set of education or something that will try to replace the void. Now these things are not bad in themselves, but they become an idol when they try to replace that whole. These idols will, try, will take control. That's the thing that people don't realize is that when we fill the void with something that's not the promises of God, truth, the word of God, divine perspective, then these idols will begin to take control of our lives. And we begin to find ourselves slaves to a growing stronghold. And that's number four. Each time we fill the void with an idol other than God, we're allowing the devil to build a stronger and stronger stronghold. And this is where people are at today, but this is not God's will. There can be a stronghold of passivity. Men can get passive. We can just get, God has created men to be initiators of God's kingdom. The devil wants to shut you down. He wants to, he wants to attack your fatherhood. He wants to attack your personal life. He wants to attack your, your thought life. He wants to attack your ability to lead as a husband or to, uh, initiate the gospel, passivity, to shut us down. The second, maybe another stronghold could be depression or a poor self-image, or it could be fear, being fearful, or it could be anything that you can imagine. These are strongholds that people suffer with all of their lives. And what happens many, many times is if a person is not in a church, where grace and the finished work and positional truth are not being preached, then they'll find a form of righteousness, religiosity, to coexist with the, with the stronghold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and there's no victory. People will come in, praise the Lord, leave, but there'll be, still, there'll be the secret stronghold, and that's not God's will. God's will does not want us to be imprisoned to fear, to be imprisoned to a poor self-image, to be imprisoned to depression, to sensuality, to 
to narcotics to drugs. If there's anything in my life or in your life that we cannot live without, we are improperly addicted to it. So casting down strongholds, we said this, that it begins in the thought life. It begins in the thought life. Now just think with me here. Number, number three things. Number one, Proverbs 23, verse 7, that classic verse, a man is, he is, uh, as he thinks, so is he. As you and I think in our mind, that's what we're going to become. And I'm not talking about new age gospel here. I'm just saying the way you and I think privately where no one sees, that's, what's going to, that's what we're going to become. I got a story. There was a man, maybe I told this story before. Uh, I always repeat jokes and stories. So just, I know so few jokes and so few stories. I always wreck the jokes. So I'm going to stick with stories. There's a man every day out the way to work. He would drive by a bank, you know, just a, had no record, no, and this is a true story. <clears throat> Happened right here in Hatboro. No, I'm just joking. It's a true story, and he, he, was a, he, was a mid, he was like a middle-aged man, father of a family, and he, middle income, you know, just, just a respectable man, paid his taxes, um, didn't really do anything bad in his life. Every day he would drive by a bank, and he would just look at that bank, just think about the bank, and just say, you know, kind of watch sometimes people going in and out, sometimes the the armored car would be there, and they'd be unloading and loading. And he started to think one day, he said, you know, I wonder how easy it would be to rob that bank. And he just wasn't even serious. He was just kind of entertaining a thought, like, I wonder, wonder. I mean, I bet I could, this is what I would do. I would kind of, and there, he's almost not even thinking, like kind of sneaking in his mind around this subject of robbing the bank. And he did this year after year, just kind of not even thinking about it. And then and he kind of developed a strategy and, and, you know, he found himself like, you know, pulling up to the bank and looking at it sometimes and then driving off and, and then, you know, just thinking about it. He walked into the bank one day and kind of looked around and he goes, you know, I could do this. I could rob this bank. And what did he do? He robbed the bank. <laughs> and the story is that after he got caught, and you always, we always get caught when we steal, always. And we, never, we never get away with it. After he got caught, he was asked, why did you do it? You have such a clean record. You're such a good man. And he said, every day I drove by that bank, and I thought, I bet I could rob this bank. And he did it. Because you know what? The way we think is the way we're going to become. Second thing is, when we cast about casting down struggles, we struggle with external issues. We struggle with external circumstances and situations. And as we are struggling with those circumstances... We are enjoying the pleasure of undisciplined inner thought that actually is feeding the external circumstances that we're battling. Let me give you an example. Somebody goes to work and they just say to themselves, I hate this job, I hate these people, I hate this work, I hate this paycheck, I'm not getting enough money. But they're not saying anything and they're, not, they're just going to work and then they never say anything but what happens is, is that the, the job that they're working at becomes controversial, becomes, becomes very conflicting. It becomes very, um, it becomes, uh, very um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, it, it becomes very difficult. And they don't understand why. And they, they write things on Facebook like, I can't wait till Friday comes. And, and, they, and they are just texting, you know, and it's what is happening. It's that what a person is thinking eventually is going to feed the circumstances, even though they don't do anything or say anything. 
the way you and I think about people are going to impact your relationship with that person. Either we think with divine viewpoint or we begin to deal with circumstances that are controversial to us because we have an inner undisciplined thought life. We're not thinking with God. And we said last week, Philippians 4 verse 8 is our filter for our minds. Philippians 4 verse 8. When you go home today, before you eat lunch, read that verse. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Whatsoever is, and there's a whole list of things that we want to set our mind on. And then the third thing that we had mentioned was we're not a product of our environment. And we're going to get to the text for this morning's message here in a minute. You and I are not a product of our environment. Now, all the stuff that's going on in Baltimore, people are complaining that they are products of their environment. Now, I understand injustice was done, and I'm not going to get into that whole dialogue because, you know, the truth is, who knows really what happened? And the media spins stuff so much, and, you know, the media causes so much trouble in so many ways, but, and I don't desire to talk about that, but, you know, sometimes you hear people, and sometimes we say this, they said, you know, if I was in different circumstances, I would be a better person. Well, that is so untrue, because you and I are not products of our circumstances. We are, God created us differently than animals. Animals may be products of their circumstances. Fish may be products of their circumstances you put a small fish in a big tank and what some fish what what they will do they'll grow to the size of the tank i think goldfish do that right okay we are not like that we are people we have been given by god a spirit and we are creators we have been given by authority by god to us to create to initiate to be creative to um to design and this is what god has given us whether we are creating, designing, designing, and building our destruction through negativity, or we are building, creating, initiating, and um, uh, our uh, our growth and uh, our creative walk. And I'm not talking about self improvement here. I'm talking about that you and I are always creating, whether we are negative or we are positive. Not positive thinking. We said last week is that. It's just a human attempt to embedder our situation through positive thinking. We need to have our thinking on another total different level. And that level of thinking is on a higher level through the quickening of the Holy Spirit. When God quickens our spirit, he lifts our thinking. So this is just a bit of a review of what we said. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. 1 Samuel 13, verse 19, where a church that opens our Bibles. Isn't that great? One of these days, we're going to get our verses up there. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. And I'm going to do some reading here, and I want, to, I want you to follow with me as I read. I'm going to read the, a, a situation that the Israelites found themselves under, under the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. And what happened here was is that the Philistines were dominating the Israelites and they were under the dominion of the Philistines. This is just a few chapters before David comes and kills Goliath, takes off his head. 
what had happened here was that the Philistines, when they came in to control the Israelites, they took, first of all, all their weapons. It's the first thing that they did. It's the first thing. They removed all of their weapons so that they would not be in any way able to defend themselves or to fight their enemy. And that's what always happens. Yeah, the weapons leave first. But you know what? God allowed this to happen because God wanted to teach Israel that, Israel, your weapons are not carnal weapons. They're not fleshly weapons, but it's another weapon. And the Philistines said in verse 19, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. These are all items for farming. And what the Israelites had to do is they had to go down to the Philistines to sharpen something, even if it was a point on a goad. In verse 22, So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son. And so we see that the day of battle had come for the battle we're going to talk about in a minute. Chapter 14, verse 1. There was no weapons. Israel had no weapons. They had nothing. In verse 23, the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. And so there's a stronghold of the Philistines, of the dominating enemy that had stolen, had taken all the weapons from Israel. And in verse 1, now it happened on the day, verse 1 of chapter 14, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' stronghold that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. That's good. I like that. That tells me, you know, Saul represents a carnal leader, a a carnal king, a man who lives in opinions and doesn't doesn't hear from God and doesn't approach God. And, And sometimes there are things that we don't want to be communicating to carnal people. Because it's just, a, it's just a step of faith that we're going to do in our life. Let's skip down to chapter, uh, to verse 6 in chapter 14. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Let us go over to the stronghold, the garrison, of these uncircumcised. And I like that because Jonathan and David never called the Philistines Philistines. They always called them uncircumcised. David never gave Goliath the, the satisfaction of calling him his great famous name, Goliath. He said, you're just an uncircumcised Philistine. It may be, Jonathan said, that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so his armor-bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. What a great team member, huh? Man, that's like the team we got here. You know, we got a team here of people that are like, hey, you know what, Pastor... Just do what God's put in your heart. We're with you. That's so great. We don't, we don't experience here so many things that could happen in churches. Because we are really just after Christ. And we're all facing that garrison of the enemy. And so the armor bearer says, hey, you know what? I'm with you. Do whatever God puts in your heart. In verse 8, Jonathan said, very well. You know, the armor bearer wasn't saying to Jonathan, follow your heart. He was just saying, you know what? Just follow the heart that God has given you. And what happens next? So Jonathan said in verse 8, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. (laughs) To you guys, you know, going up to an entire garrison of Philistines. 
And he said, in verse 10, um, I'm sorry, in verse, verse 9, if they say to us, if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. Okay? Verse 10, but if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. This will be a sign for us. Now, what do you, what, now if you have any kind of military understanding or military background or just know anything about military, is that to fight a battle, uh, ascending... <coughs> Two men, an entire garrison of Philistines, when they have the advantage of height, is not a very good idea. It would be better for, the, for Jonathan and his armor bearer to have them come down and fight on the even plane. But Jonathan said, we're not going to make this easy. If God is in this, then he's going to do the harder thing. We're going to scale. We're going to be in an absolute disadvantage, and we're going to face the garrisons. And that, the garrison. And that means that God is going to give us the garrison, if they say, come up here. If they ask us to do the harder thing, if God allows them to do, ask us to do the harder thing, that means God's in it. God's not going to be in the easier thing. I don't know if you've seen the picture that's floating around, but it looks like somebody drew it. It's a, two pictures, my plan and God's plan. Have you seen it? It's a picture of my plan. It's like a guy on a bicycle riding a little bit of an incline, smiling on a sunny day with a checkered flag at the end, you know. Then it's then the other one is God's plan, which is just these hills and like crazy weather and like and and harrowing bridges and and um, danger. And so this is what Jonathan says, if God is in this and he wants us to take this stronghold, then he's going to do it the hard way and we're going to just trust him for it. I think the armor bearer was thinking, we don't see his thoughts here like, wow, great, you know. Way to, way to choose the hardest way to go. But he was in it because he said, I'm going to go with you with whatever is in your heart. And so, in verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. Can you, you know, they're down below on that little, that area before the big, gar, big garrison, the big stronghold, and they're just kind of waving to the Philistines on the wall. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes that they've been hiding in. And you could see that the Philistines in no way respected or had any respect for the Hebrews. Then the men of the garrison in verse 12 called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Yeah, that's great, huh? Out of the enemy's voice, out of the enemy's mocking, cackling call comes the voice of God, come up here. And then Jonathan looks to his armor bearer smiles and says, come up after me. It doesn't say that in the scripture, but I'm just imagining here. Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Not us, but Israel. God has delivered the enemy into the body of Christ. It's just two, the entire cunt, the whole nation of Israel, two men that are not, it's not about them. They said, God has given the enemy to us. And so they go up, and as they go up in verse 13, they're uh, Jonathan's climbing up on his hands and knees on rocks. And can you imagine the, 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 how unbelievable that is? They get up there, and Jonathan goes before the armor bearer, and Jonathan is wounding, he's wounding the, the, the Philistines. And as they go down, the armor bearer comes up behind them and just 
takes him out, just finishes him off. And the first slaughter in verse 14, which Jonathan and his iron made, was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And from there, we begin to see the snowball effect of two men that walk by faith, take a stronghold, and now an entire nation has hope. I just want to say a few things here about Jonathan's perspective. This is the way Jonathan looked at a stronghold, okay? Number, and it's five things. Number one, Jonathan and his armor bearer were God's people. That's what Jonathan understood. He understood that we are God's people. And that's the first thing that you and I have to understand when we are looking at a stronghold in our life, whatever that stronghold may be. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's personal, something personal that you're struggling with. Look at it from this perspective. My position in Christ. I am God's person. You know, many times we fail. Um, Many times we may fail God. But God will never fail calling us his child. How many times does a child fail? And every time that parent, the father or the mother of that child will love that child. This is the way it is with us, is that we have to look at who we are in Christ. This is where it all begins. Who are you in Christ? Maybe you have some kind of goal in your life. You know, I think it's good to have goals on every level of your life. We don't worship goals, but we've got to have goals. And, and maybe it's a goal in some area of my family or my health or my, uh, my, my work, or I want to grow in certain areas of my life. Live with those goals, but you know, look at it from this perspective, not with what you can do, I can do this, but look from this perspective, I am God's child, I am perfect in Christ, I am forgiven, I am loved, I am 70, 95 things, I've seen so many different lists, there's 75, there's 99, there's 95, there's 49, there's so many things that God has done for us at the point of salvation, start there. And don't go, any be, don't go any farther from there until we get it straight in our mind that I cannot ever fail. Meaning that even if I fall, I'm still loved. There's no way that we could ever fall out of the love of God. There's no way that we could ever fall out of His grace. We are in His hand. John chapter 10, verse 28. Some people say that believe that you can lose your salvation. They say, well, you can take yourself out of the hand of God. You can unsave yourself. That's impossible, because if we understand John 10, 28, no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Man, meaning yourself, you and I. We are saved. We are born again. And if we're truly born again, living in sin, living in our stronghold, then grace is so responsible for us. I don't know if you've ever been chastised by grace, but it hurts a lot more than the world and by the, than the flesh and by the devil. Grace chastising us is just unbelievable. And yet... We, are, we feel so loved in that chastisement. The second thing that Jonathan and his, and his armor bearer understood was that the Philistines were the enemy. They were enemies of God. That may sound very simple, but they were the enemies of God. It's important to understand who our enemies are. People are not our enemies. We, we have to understand that, that people are not your enemies. You are not your own enemy in the sense of... Uh, the sole understanding of that word, enemy. People are not enemies. The enemy is three things. The world system. By the way, the system looks great, doesn't it? But there will be a day when that system turns against God and his people. 
and it'll be unbelievable. The, the, cyst, the world system, the flesh, your flesh is not your friend, it's your enemy. And the devil, the, the devil is the enemy, and that's Re- Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. The enemies of the believer, uh, the Philistines, are the enemy. Number three, Jonathan understood that God's people had greater power and rep- weapons than the Philistines. That God's people had more power than the Philistines. And even though they didn't have weapons, Jonathan understood that God has given them more power. Here's Jonathan climbing on his hands and knees up a rocky slope. I'm just picturing in my mind to get to a hardened garrison with probably a wall that they would have to scale. And on top of that wall were men with swords, knives, and every kind of instrument of death that you can imagine. But in Jonathan's mind, they had something more than the Philistines. And then the, third, then the, four, the fourth thing is this, is that Jonathan and his own had the higher ground that they were on, though they were on the lower ground. Think about that for a minute. Who was really on the higher ground in that situation? Well, Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up the slope. They probably, I don't know how many feet they had to climb. Uh, but in their mind, they were on the higher ground. And that's the way you and I look. Is that when we think from our position in Christ, we actually have the higher ground in, in a lot of situations that are very disadvantaged. Do you feel disadvantaged today? Do you feel like you've been victimized? Do you feel that something's been taken from you? Opportunities? Do you feel that you've lost something that was really rightfully yours and that someone abusively or um, purposely took from you? Well, think from your position in Christ, who you are in Christ, in the love of God, and you're going to have the higher ground in that situation, even though you have no weapons in your hand. And then number five, I like this. Jonathan tested to see if God was in this. And when he discovered that God was in it, he advanced knowing that they owned the garrison by faith. And I want to, I want to finish with this. Pastor Schaller just had a great message Wednesday night in Baltimore. Um, and he talked about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I thought, this goes along with our series, and I want to make this point that he made. The Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 1 says that faith is now what? How many, who can tell me that verse? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the what? It's the substance of things what? Hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Faith in the Greek we know, some that have studied the Greek know that it's like a title deed. It's a, it's a document of ownership of property. But think about that. For, let's take that thought a little bit farther. That when you and I hear from God in Hebrews 10, verse 17, when we hear the word of God, it produces faith. What does it do? It gives us a title deed to those strongholds in your life. It gives you a title deed. Jonathan and, the, and his armor bearer were climbing the hill, and they were like, you know what? We got the title deed to this place. These guys don't know it, but they're being evicted today. They're, being, they're getting foreclosed on. They don't even know it. There's 20 or more of them. But they're getting shut down today because they are not the owners of this land. It's a half an acre or a quarter of an acre or whatever it was that they were on. But that land belonged to Jonathan, the armor bearer in all of Israel. God has given us the land. And the devil wants to sometimes try to build his real estate on our land. But we have to say, you know what? Build as much as you want. But sooner or later, that's coming down because that's not your land. 
And we walk into those places where there are strongholds of fear and depression. Say, you know what? Number one, I'm God's child. Number two, I own this. You know, faith is when we understand that we, un- that we own the property that the devil is trying to take from us. And we just say, you know what? There is really not even any battle that needs to be taken here because we own the place. If you have a title deed or a contract to a property, you walk into a court of law and it's a done deal. You don't need to battle for it. There may be a battle somewhat, a legal battle, but it is your land. We walk into the stronghold of fear and we say, perfect love casts out all fear. We walk into the stronghold of anger and say, the peace of the Lord will, will govern our minds and keep us. Uh, we walk into a very um, un, un, uncertain situation and we say, I, will, I, can have, I can have my compass pointing at God in this circumstance and have peace. We can walk into any circumstance and understand that this is ground that God has given us. We can walk into this property in Hatboro and say, God has given us this place. And that's the way we think about it. We, we came in here about a year and a half ago, something like that, and when I started pastoring here, and that's the way we started thinking. God, this, God has given us this land. There's even a yellow marking on, on Warminster Office's real estate thinking. That some kind of a, we have some kind of, it's a historical property of some kind. We're special. This is a special property. God is, God is taking care of us. When you walk into your house, that is your, that's your property. When you walk into work and you walk into, uh, into some maybe crazy circumstances and, and um, personality conflicts, bring your deed with you, your deed which is that says that I have given, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, I have given you this land. Walk by faith. Take steps of faith. And I'm going to finish with this, that... This is very important that we think this way. That when we think with God properly about your circumstances, your circumstances, that stronghold will come down. And it won't come down because you have a sword and you have the latest, the latest weapon. It's going to come down because you're thinking with God. Think right. This is where it all begins. Think with God. Think in truth. Think in virtue. And you're going to reach those dream goals in your life. Think with God and you're going to see God fulfill the calling in your life. Don't cast away your confidence. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. I remember when we moved to Ukraine. It was just, I was not married. My wife and I were engaged. And I came with a team. And it was just a very, very difficult situation there. We had un, un, unknowingly picked the hardest city in the entire country to start a church. And we went there, and it was just, we had to stand in line just to buy sugar. It was just, it was like the days of the Great Depression in the United States. It was unbelievable. And God gave me this verse in Hebrews 10, verse 38, Cast not away your, comf- your, your, your confidence. Cast not away your confidence, for it is, has great reward. When you and I take that take that ownership of the strongholds, what will happen is, is that God will give us the right spirit and we begin to function in the spirit of faith. And we function in the spirit of faith. That pleases God. Walk by faith in, in your life. Take steps of faith in your life. I was thinking this morning as I was on the way here, every one of us in this room, every one of us, without exception, should have one person that we're discipling. 
And I think that if I, they're already in your life already. You may just may not know it. Uh, you know, if you're a grandmother, disciple a grandmother. If you're a single person, disciple a single person. If you're a mother, disciple another mother. What does that mean? Invest in them. Feed them faith. Speak to them. Reproduce your life in them. Because this is what, this, this is what Christianity is all about. And this is how we take strongholds down in society. And this is how we change our neighborhoods. This is how we change the world that we live in. When we walk by faith, we're not going to be standing there embarrassed because God's going to show up. You know what? They took the garrison. And when they took the garrison, they owned it. And that was the beginning of a great turn of events for Israel. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father,